Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about uh, clocks and and also <laughs> anime and, and political economy That's and stuff. True, I'm Ryan Salisbury. Uh, we got Chris. Chris is here. Hey, what's up? <laughs> we also got uh, Chloe. Yo, what up? That's when you say a thing so that That's people you. know what you sound like. And we have yeah, True. This is the thing I'm saying. TrueBot. It me. TrueBot, who, it true. as it turns out, is actually a person and not a bot. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, today there? we are talking about the Belt and Road Initiative, which is a uh, project by the Chinese state to develop infrastructure around Eurasia and... Some other places, I guess. Africa, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, supposedly, it's n- definitely not neocolonialism. So we're going to find out whether it actually is neocolonialism or, or not. Um, and just before we start... Well, it can be because it's a communist country and communists are colonial. So, you know. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah imperialism is... By definition, a stage of capitalism, and if since right. China is not capitalist, um, there can't be due imperialism. And also, neither were most things throughout history that we call empires. Imperialism is when America does stuff, and the more stuff America does, the more imperialist it is. It's Wait, true. Uh, China is communist. Laugh track. Bazinga. Bazinga. Fucking... I am, I am going to find candle after to put in there, by the way. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. Okay. Uh, do, you, do you have a uh, definition of neocolonialism to be uh, running off of here, or are we just winging it? Uh, I would say we are closer to winging it than anything else. <laughs> Man, okay. This is not a very good ideology, but I'm this is whatever. Let's go for it. <laughs> Well, true. You're on hand to help us out with this critical error. <laughs> I guess I would say that neocolonialism is using soft power, as in not violence, not direct violence, mm-hmm. to force mm-hmm. other states to capitulate to your interests. I just want to right. say it's it's 4:20 real time now. Apparently, and by real Russia, time you mean Pacific time. Neocolonialism. <laughs> I would say what I would never recognize that in a conversation. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so we're trying to figure out whether the Belt and Road Initiative uh, is neocolonial, and we'll define that as using soft power to force other states to obey the whims of China. I think that's an okay definition to use. Yeah. Uh yeah, so this is gonna be very disorganized because uh, I'm on vacation, so I've barely worked on the notes. Mostly been watching Hunter Hunter and doing stuff in Cape Cod. Um, Hunter Hunter, yeah, Hunter. Well, that's Hunter. What, that's what that's what we're here for. So we also don't know. <laughs> we're gonna organize it and go. Yeah, no, your definition sounds fine. I guess I don't know. That's good. Sure. <laughs> So basically, uh, what this program involves is 
the Asian Infrastructure Bank and the Asian Development Bank, which are uh, two uh, Chinese uh, international banks, uh, giving loans to other countries to fund infrastructure development projects that are basically created as like at the behest of China. So they'll say like, mm-hmm. we want to build a, a high speed rail through this part of the country and we can give you a million billion dollars to do it. And, uh, it's supposed to be low, low or no interest loans. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of exactly what the world bank does as well. Right. So I think we kind of figured it out. It is neocolonialism. <laughs> That's the end of the episode, guys. Well, I think what would uh, most like significantly indicate if it's neocolonialism or not would be what's put up for like collateral on the loans. Mm-hmm. Like right. millions of poor people. Because <laughs> like, was it uh, also China that would build like ports in like east coast of africa then like if they yep. didn't pay off the loan over a certain time the port was transferred back to china ownership wise yeah and there's actually a really good example of that in sri lanka um they owed eight billion dollars on a newly developed port and as far as i understand this port was put in a place that's like commercially like not a not a really strategic location but it is uh, a strategic location for the Chinese Navy uh, to have mm-hmm. a port, and so they uh, they were Sri Lanka was forced to cede a newly developed port to a Chinese company in return for relief on just some of the eight billion dollars that it owed, not even all of it. And if I remember correctly, because again these notes are very disorganized, um, they actually got them to uh, cede part of their land uh, and make it like a so- like a sovereign part of China. Like the, the government of Sri-, Sri Lanka has like no power there. And huh. uh, and the Chinese Navy... So that doesn't sound like anything the Dutch or British have ever done. No, it's nothing like that. Chinese Navy submarines have already gone to that, that part of the port. Um, oh, and this is 50 acres of land, so it's actually pretty big Um, and it's held by a chinese company not not just the government of china uh but they they let a submarine land there and uh if i remember correctly india like freaked out because they're right next door well india freaks out whenever china does anything at all but (laughs) yeah wouldn't that be kind of related to uh what was the other episode you're talking about like exploratory submarines or whatever china was allowed to do that but in general like they had to stay out of the south china sea but through like ownership of ports and whatnot couldn't they like kind of ease their way in legally without like kind of busting open any treaties but like if they owned the ports like leading into the south china sea or around the south china sea then they'd have like a legal basis to just kind of say like well obviously we have to be allowed here it's ours so right, like, yeah, India or whomever couldn't really be like, no, you can't be here. That's like a declaration of war, and they'd be like, we're just, you know, in, in our own backyard, kind of. Right, right. Oh, who us? We're just hanging out, having some lemonade. <laughs> Chinese people love lemonade, I think. Yeah, so I'm looking at a map, and like, uh, it includes like large parts of Africa, which 
usually when people are talking about the neocolonial aspects, they seem to focus mm-hmm. on Africa instead of that like really really clear Sri Lanka example, <laughs> where it's just like yeah, yeah, a Chinese company now owns part of your country. <laughs> right. No, it, but but as long as they're not wearing like pith hats and baggy khaki trousers, then they're all good to go, right? Like, oh yeah, that's not colonialism. That's what makes yeah. It as long as their money's not green, the clothes that or has like a, a a British queen on it or something, you know, then it's all yeah. Know. It's sort of like Kill Lock Hill. The outfit <laughs> is what makes it uh, powerful. Nothing. Okay, so. Let's go by some official statements here from the Asian Development Bank and Asian Infrastructure Bank. So in 2016, the Asian Development Bank said the PRC is interested in supporting the development of six economic corridors in coordination with other concerned countries. Uh, one, PRC, Mongolia, Russian Federation. Two, New Asia, European Continental Bridge. Uh, three, PRC, Central Asia, West Asia. Four, PRC, mm-hmm. mainland Southeast Asia. Five, mm-hmm. PRC, Pakistan. And six, Bangladesh, PRC, India, and Myanmar. You know, my favorite country is New Asia. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> and mainland Southeast Asia, that's that's another pretty sweet spot, I think. Yeah, European continent. I, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's actually a European get... Continental Bridge. How are they going to uh, develop an Asia-European Continental Bridge if Europe doesn't exist? <laughs> no, you, you got a point there. Man, um, you should really write them a letter about this problem. <laughs> yeah, no, I think they may have like they may have made just like an error in the paperwork or something. Dear yeah, China, uh, if it were me, I would simply build there. all this stuff for free. Like, uh, <laughs> is the implication here that it's like, uh, generally like how, oh god, my voice thing just dropped to like red. Um, okay, is is it kind of like how when they propose like train routes, the idea is that we have like two economic zones that we're connecting, and so the entire route along the way would, in theory, increase economically, but. I, kind of question the uh say efficacy of that in this situation because like how exactly are they linking this corridor to the quote-unquote concerned countries of like central asia you know well yeah the whole idea is to redevelop the silk road which i'm pretty sure is like uh i don't know um i guess it's uh eurasian I don't know where it is. Chris probably mm. knows. Okay, so the, <laughs> hi, I, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> so the Silk Road, uh, we kind of touched on this in like our, I think, um, uh, Dutch East Indies episodes um, and some of the other stuff. at Silk Road, there was like, it was really more that there was a, a network of uh, customary routes that the uh, the world, the ancient world, the world of antiquity. Um, and even up through the, you know, the middle ages, of course, with, you know, Marco Polo, but really just a ton of people, uh, we're using this network of roads and also maritime routes, um, 
to trade across Eurasia and also into like coastal Africa, um, Southeast Asia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was because of, um, because this kind of, like I said, customary uh, set of routes had developed over land and over sea to a bunch of um, different areas of the world that were just for hundreds or thousands of years, typical sites of trade extraction, um, other kinds of political and economic interest, then it was fairly stable over a long period of time. Um, and it was a kind of uh, like a map within a map, just like, you know, like when you look at the US highway system, um, but these roads were often developed regionally. Uh, to transport news, you know, right. Everywhere was, right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, ancient Rome and ancient China needed a, a way to uh, meet in the middle uh, with their giant ICBM platforms. Um, <laughs> they didn't work too but, well, though, uh, yeah. I don't think. Uh, no, no, it was very slow going. Um, you know, mules and stuff, uh, really problematic. Yeah, for they, were power, they were powered by wood. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh wood-powered mules um <laughs> i meant the rockets but yeah sure the the mules were powered by wood <laughs> <laughs> no those, those yeah those trebuchets actually yes <laughs> intercontinental <laughs> ballistic mule <True. laughs> <laughs> um so so in the in the in the sort of silk road paradigm like everywhere was on the way to somewhere right um uh -huh. And then with the colonial, uh, uh, the shift to the, the sort of imperial colonial paradigm um, and the European kind of capitalist global uh, hegemony, um, everywhere was um, on the way to like the imperial core, uh, right? Because it was kind of trying to take as much as possible and it was centering in this kind of European uh, core and then in the kind of uh, North American um core as well but <clears throat> anyway right, um, no capitalism was that old <laughs> well you know um it's in there somewhere but so um, uh so the road was made of silk though right right yeah so it was very delicate silk road um, um very prized <laughs> you know people would cut bits off of the shoulder to take home um <laughs> i bet it looked really nice oh yeah Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's great, you know. Um, and everywhere, you know, people just added their own uh, style to it. Um, their, their own and so China's style. proposing Cat a 21st century will. maritime <laughs> yes. road, which that seems like a real feat of engineering to have, uh, like a floating Silk Road. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, lost a lost a lot of worthy seamen. <laughs> <laughs> well um, you know you know that that's just what happens sometimes i guess yeah so i think that uh linking it to the 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 kind of current belt and road initiative uh concept uh at the very least the narrative is kind of um seems to be like this kind of idea like look this was the way before um, you know, these were, these were, you know, and I'm back when everything was good. Here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. This, this was back when everything was like, um, uh, trade was voluntary and fair and made sense, you know, and, and 
so forth. And, you know, this is kind of... Okay, so they're uh, all ANCAPs is what you're saying. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, uh, I think I think all traditional merchants are ANCAPs, uh, like, okay. like in the ancient world, um, which is why everybody fucking they hated them. They viewed states as just clients, if you will. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, it seems to be kind of the, the, the MO, a client actually. State, a, a client people. state is when... A client state is when they're your customer, and the customer yeah, is always right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the dark web is um, actually just when you're like trading like while at the brothel or something, um, instead of like <laughs> at the bazaar. <laughs> um, I, but I yeah, think, uh, sort of important thing to know: just the way that we're taught, like about the Silk Road, at least in American high schools and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So unlike say the northwest passageway it doesn't really refer to like a single route it's just like a network of methods if you will yeah exactly it's like a network of um yeah like methods or like um sort of uh trade ways uh and and avenues yeah i would have called it also, the silk like, roads really yeah that's actually a pretty good way to put it <laughs> Um, one of the important things to remember too, is that it wasn't just trade, you know, like everybody, yeah. Like, like you mentioned through the like textbook American way of thinking about it is, um, kind of reductive. And I think that's another thing that has to be, uh, named and highlighted with this is that it wasn't just about like mercantile trade. It wasn't just about, um, two fucking dudes in turbans giving each other like a bolt of silk for, you know, or like, you know, 50 yards of linen for a coat or whatever you might say. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but it was really, it was also uh, uh, because it was ways it was um, a means of everywhere was on the way to everywhere, you know, with, with the system, it was ways for people to transfer culture information um, as much as, quote unquote, like goods, you know, commodities. Um, and so yeah, it was also the sort of thing that like the Mongols used very effectively. And also um, the guarantee of the Pax Mongolica or the, you know, the kind of Mongolian peace um, along these roads and other roads within their uh, sort of uh, imperial jurisdiction was one of their um, kind of, it was like the carrot they dangled um, in front of their vassals, like, hey, like, nobody gets fucked up on our roads. You know, um, you can go from the saying in the, in the, you know, about the Mongolian empire, uh, was that a virgin girl could carry a stack of gold on her head from one end of the empire to another without being touched. Right. Like, which is like very telling about what the fuck people. Now, now that I actually like, time, but also, except for the virgin <laughs> part, that's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, because women are property. Right. So, Right. Um, okay. And all that bullshit. I forgot but, about that. Right. 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 So, <laughs> un- unattended uh, uh, chattel. Uh, yeah. Right. So, uh, man. So the Mongols said, must have yeah. had some pampered ass horses if they were always running around on silk. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. Very lightweight horses. Um, they were actually hollow very inside. Soft hooves. Um, Wood fire <laughs> horses. Um, the f- horses had hollow <laughs> yeah. bones and feathers. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, and the Mongols were actually ancient aliens. Um, yeah. Now that I haven't heard yet. Yeah. So, well, you're hearing it from me now. Um, I'm gonna publish a book about that and make a lot of money. And um, awesome. We'll see what happens. 
Um, so, so yeah, so the, the concept, you know, I think that the, the narrative for, for Asians in particular is, you know, this was the way things used to be. This was something that worked for us before the big, like, you know, the white scare of sorts, you know, like the big white empire thing happened and fucked us all up. Before and, opium. You know, opium and, and yeah, and like all those, you know, the spice trade and the um, cotton and textiles and all this bullshit. Um, and so that, that narrative is very like appealing and appeasing when it comes to, you know, whatever we may say PRC is up to in reality with its material projects and its, um, expanding network of obligations, which are not neo-colonialism because again, we find that out. Right. So. I so mean, it has like that sort of like. Know, modern neoliberal quote unquote globalism has that whole idea of like transfer of culture through economic trade and whatnot. So we can kind of see like the Silk Road being like an earlier example of what they they kind of assume that as long as there's trade, there will be cultural trade. Right, exactly. Like the idea that like you're yeah, you're definitely hitting it on the head there. Like the concepts um of of uh, uh, cultural transfer as originating through the incentive for trade, right? Um, and so, yeah, it's a very yeah, you know, neoliberal kind of capitalist way of thinking about. Instead of selling your children into slavery, why don't you simply start a company, start a venture? Right, right, right exactly. <laughs> if, you know. Are you tired of your virgin girls stacked with gold disappearing along the highway? Well, you should start a. <laughs> <laughs> limited liability um, chattel right. slavery right. <laughs> do your mules keep bursting in flames <laughs> and speaking of neoliberalism oh, uh, we have this quote here from the diplomat and they're talking about mm -hmm. they're like comparing it to the TPP Wait, what so is the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership now back from the dead is more than a trade agreement, while its geopolitical significance and security undertones have been severely affected by the U.S. withdrawal, TPP's project to establish U.S.-style regulatory capitalism as the dominant mode of international economic ordering in the Asia-Pacific lives on. TPP will operate a significant alternative to China's state-centered approach, exemplified in the hugely ambitious Belt and Road Initiative. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of, I guess they're contrasting it with... Yeah. Initiative. Yeah, and how they are potentially going to. So the TPP was a big deal when I started grad school because it was this thing that like Obama was, you know, like late Obama was trying to push through, and then it was, oh, it's going to happen. It's going to be this huge, you know, neoliberal globalizing agreement, you know, uh, between the West and the East and all this shit. Um, if you like your Silk Road, you can keep it. <laughs> Exactly. And so, yeah. And so, um, and the TPP was also part of, um, like, like Obama's quote unquote, like, um, pivot to Asia thing, which, uh, was, was a bit, you know, I'm trying to remember it was really in a lot of ways, just kind of a charm thing. Um, but then, yeah, so the TPP was supposed to go through and then Trump basically, you know, whatever you want to say about, um, it, Trump, uh, pulled out and then like all his, these other like, for example his politics are good i i think he's uh the best president 
he's my favorite person, that kind of thing. Right. right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Whatever you want to yeah. say, you know, um, among those things. Really whatever you want to say about, about yeah. that. Um, right. But uh, yeah, so Trump pulled out and then um, kind of like with the, what was it, the Paris Climate Accord, Paris Climate Agreement, um, everybody else is like, oh no, the world will end if this doesn't happen. So like we will band together without America and stand strong and be centrists and shit. Um, you know, so, so the TPP is kind of moving forward. I think, yeah, TPP 11, what, I think that's just a revision number. Um, so that's kind of the new Attempt TPP number 11. that Japan is, is heading. Um, oh, oh, 11 is the number of uh, entities, um, which I assume is just states, but. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so, so, this, so basically TPP would be kind of this, um, yeah, very like overtly neoliberal kind of Western dominated um, uh, 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 globalization scheme, you know, super popular with all these multinationals and stuff. And then the BRI. The I, don't, I don't remember what's actually in, involved in that. It was like, it was big during the late Obama years to know about it. Right, but now that right. all kinds of other crazy shit is happening, I've kind of forgotten about it. So as I understand, yeah, it's basically exactly. just like, yeah. Removing capital yeah. controls. Is that the whole thing? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, as I recall, it's got a lot of similarities to like, you know, NAFTA and shit, um, but just kind of in a, in a, in a more like Obama, you know, 20 teens kind of way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, trade barriers. So, so yeah. So, good yeah, governance. And, and Human rights. That's, little, that's funny. That's hilarious. <laughs> right. Well, I think they actually had a bunch of these, you know, the cosmetics and optics in it too, like where they're like, yeah, it prohibits oh, exploitative child labor and, and forced labor. Right, right. There were there were actually I remember non-exploitative um, child labor. <laughs> right. I do. Yeah. No. Actually, that reminds me. There was a lot of talk when it was still on the table um, that there were um, issues that some countries had with. Uh, labor controls and stuff and environmental controls and safety regulations and things like that. Um, and so this was kind of seen as, you know how it is with like, like, um, like the kind of the neolibs and stuff are always, always like, like what they really want is, you know, money and, and shit like that. You know, they want to, yeah, relax controls, et cetera. But then like, um, in like us domestic politics, the, they, they want to look nice and they want to play, play nice in the, in the media and shit. And so uh, to them, it was like, oh, this is an easy way to kind of look good because we're, we're going to use, use this, this grand scheme, this grand strategy of, of opening markets, which we believe is good. And then we're also going to put in, um, you know, you know, labor protections and, and environmental protections. Um, but then at the same time, we're, we will cleverly, uh, seed ground and compromise with the uh, with the most powerful capitalists in the room who really don't want that. So really, they didn't they didn't even plan to do very much, but it was in there, so it looked good if you could put it in the media, you know. Um, so I actually found an anime <laughs> tie-in here. Okay. Um, so the TPP has a bunch of stuff about uh, you basically have to obey like U.S. intellectual property laws. That's like. Basically, one of the major provisions. And uh, Ken Akamatsu, creator of the manga series Love Hina and Maho Sensei Negima, 
yeah, expressed concern yeah, that the agreement could decimate the derivative doujinshi works prevalent in Japan. Akamatsu argued that the, the, the TPP would destroy derivative doujinshi, and as a result, the power of the entire manga industry would also diminish. Well, I mean, that's a heavy argument. I mean, that... that you, you, I, mean, you I really think that's can't. all you need to know, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what am I going to do without my doujinshi, you know? Right. Well, I mean, like, the obviously the further implication is that, like, fan works in general would be fucked. Yeah. If, I, yeah, if, exactly. I'm, like, if I'm keeping up with what we're talking about correctly. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. All the, all the, anything that falls outside of U.S. Uh, intellectual property laws, right, would, would just be out the window. Um, plus, I don't think, like, because, I mean, Dojinsi, obviously, is like a, generic just like self-published book thing so it's while well, it's usually fan works it's also like yep. or, original works which tend not to be like licensed in any way yeah yeah he's specifically talking so, about derivative doujinshi so like yeah fan works for sure yeah and, that, and i'm sure that there's a ton of like similar problems that other uh uh like economies I guess you could say would uh, would have that are not quite as you know um, distinctly Japanese like the Dojinshi thing, um, but might be similar. Um, like I think I wouldn't be surprised if things like distribution, like like tel- uh, televised distribution and broadcast and stuff, are more relaxed in certain countries where it's harder to uh, it's harder for them maybe to like pay for. Uh, Right yeah, I think that's why the, most like uh, uh, I think that's why most telesyncs, like which is a type of uh, movie rip, is, they mostly come from Russia, and I think that's because they're very lax in their oh really okay stuff yeah interesting yeah I wonder what the the Belt and Road Initiative, um, what kind of implications that might have for things like uh, the transmission uh, of, of goods from Russia to like Southeast Asia and stuff. You know, because obviously, like, if it's like if it's just digital goods, then it, um, then it's then it's just going through like what, like satellite or or fiber optic or something, you know. But if it's goods, like pirated goods, um, you know, I mean, physical goods. Yeah, stuff. I don't see if uh, I don't see if there's any um, torrent trackers uh, in the uh-huh. in the Belt and Road Initiative. So uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the map, and it just has uh, pipe roads and railroads. <laughs> um yeah yeah i am very curious like i yeah yeah exactly um i am kind of curious i I was kind of on the same uh uh wavelength i guess as as uh the diplomat um so so uh true you asked earlier uh what the diplomat is the diplomat is kind of like uh you know one of these like slick like mainstream magazines where it's kind of it tracks and reports and explains a bunch of like Asia Pacific political economic affairs for like, um, you know, English speaking audience. Um, it's not strictly for American readers, but you know, there's obviously, you know, America's a hegemon. So there's definitely a lot of that shit in there. Um, but the tagline is read the diplomat, know the Asia Pacific. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, 50% of the entire fucking world. (laughs) <laughs> yeah isn't like the the graphics for this whole like belt and road thing saying it's like 
56 or whatever, like 4.4 billion people. It's, yeah, it's a exactly. Huge it's huge. Region. And I think that's one reason why uh, PRC is really interested in, in creating that because it's a competitor network. Um, and if we think about like Bickler uh, Nitsan and, and all that, Apple's power stuff, like, you know, logistics and distribution, um, and you don't even have to refer to them specifically, but like a lot of any political economist worth their salt um, will say, you know, logistics and distribution is probably like 80%, you know, um, yeah. of, of economic power, you know, manufacturing is, is great, but like, that's just part of the story. And so if you have a, if you have an even just implicit control, you know, like um, soft power um, and influence and obligations all around a, a highly modernized infrastructure system and, and uh, uh, road network and whatever else is involved in this, then, and in this case, if it basically is able to contact and influence and draw from half of the human population on Earth, um, you know... It's actually 62%. It, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, well, that's the issue with like a lot of the 19th century political theory and stuff like that. Is, mm-hmm. It's all concerned with production stuff modes yeah. and and possibly points of sale but like the whole distribution thing is kind of yeah. often overlooked exactly which it's like that's kind of what defines our current mm-hmm. economic mode is the distribution or more so the lack thereof yep right and remember what i said yeah i mean like remember uh said, but... in the mm-hmm. in the early 19th century in the late eight, 18th uh manufacturing was pretty important because uh, manufactured goods weren't nearly as common as they are now. Um, sure. So control of uh, former colonies by uh, former colonizers was basically predicated on um, being the sole source of manufactured goods. And so you would have to uh, sell them raw materials in order to get their currency and then pay for the manufactured goods with that currency. Uh, so it used to be sort of true, and now uh, we just uh, control it all through like intellectual property and shit. Right. Well, like, yeah, because uh, that's like the big thing of the Industrial Revolution was that by standardizing production modes, you can standardize products. And when you standardize products, you can like patent those standardized products and such. And therefore, or more or less kind of just restrict everything to rather than you know competing uh what do you, what do you call it? like when it's not machine-based production like an individual who manufactures stuff by hand there's a word for that but rather than r- rather than like each manufacturer competing manufacturer manufacturer it's just firms or whatever you would call them competing over ownership of intellectual property and thus production so yeah, and, so now you can just send designs out that you need someone else to manufacture, and then you right, like say since you have the capital to hire them, manufacturing company, and yep. say like the PRC or something, and then yeah. oh whoa, so no even yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, so like even countries not directly involved in the whole Belt and Road thing, I would probably have like a pretty big stake in what goes down there because of that. Yeah. I actually um yeah, exactly. kind of random but I yeah, exactly. 
I stumbled on this song. I was listening to Thai pop songs. I had autoplay on, and it went to this uh, this Thai like like folk sort of song that was about how um, Thailand like manufactures all these goods, and uh, like nobody realizes that they're using them, and the goods are like really high quality and everything. But then like uh, people in Thailand will uh, they basically like send the goods to Japan, and then Japan like repackages them and sends them back to Thailand and people buy them because they're like higher status now because they're Japanese goods. It's pretty interesting. It's anyway, like what I forget what we were talking about. <laughs> I listen to music. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the, the songs you, you listen to that have to do with the Belt and Road Initiative. <laughs> oh, you I'm know, sure there's a lot. Um, I don't have anything for this to be honest. I was going to make a joke, but I, I got none. Moving on. Um <laughs> In the weather today. <laughs> we can't move on. I'm sorry. This is what we're talking about now. So, yeah. Uh, what? Um, shit. Where was I? Ying Li. That's who her, who her name was. But anyway, this other one is called okay. It's called Made in Thailand. Uh, it doesn't have an artist on here. I don't know why. Karabao. Pretty cool song. Would recommend. And also that Ying Li song yeah. that slaps. <clears throat> Well, I mean, obviously, that is actually a pretty important idea, the fact that goods, values, changes depending on their source, not because of, like, actual literal quality, but just because social expectation. Yeah. Yep. Kind of busts a hole through some uh, theories of value, not naming any names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they're all European, so we're fine. We'll just... European continent. The, the lyric is made in Thailand, and when put up in the shops, they put the made in Japan labels upon them. Then they sell well, sell for high prices, and the wearers then brag they've got imported clothes, the latest fashions from the magazines. It wasn't the foreigners who cheated us, but it was us who cheated ourselves. That's hard. That's, that's hard to hear. That's a bop right there. <laughs> so, well, it sounds cooler in a different I feel language. Like just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, literal translations lose their foot. Yes. And you know, my singing is just great for that for that part, you know. That's what they sound like in the song when they're singing the the words. You can say the most basic shit and make it sound good if you rhyme put it to a tune and put a flow. (laughs) You know, just I'm gonna write all of my economic essays with a triplet flow and (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna Eminem that shit to death. Um, yeah, so so uh, Ryan, you put some notes down here about the uh, the funding and loan schemes that were involved. Um, I was curious yep. to just kind of like talk about that a bit because it's more more specific than like my broad uh, science fiction history of of the uh, actual physically silk road and all of the wood mules and shit. Um, let's talk <laughs> about neoliberal finance, right? Um, so. China has like uh they actually have like quotas for how much they want to lend out per year uh which is kind of weird like they want to lend out like a minimum amount every year um okay I don't know that just seems strange to me that it wouldn't just be like need based I guess like hey we want to build this and it's going to cost this much so that's how much we need to lend as opposed to like we really want to give out uh 1 billion dollars this year mm-hmm. and they've been meeting those goals by the way so that's cool 
Um, but so this is like kind of a a uh, like a nice portrayal of them. It's um, I got this from ChinaPower.csis.org. I think that's uh yeah, CSIS, yeah. It's a government um, center for it's a government thing. Oh, what yeah. Is it? yeah, it's one of the big um, international, I think, security think tanks, Center for Strategic and International Studies. Um, and so that's like that's the kind of place that a lot of people at my grad school wanted to like they asp aspired to work at a place like this. But CSIS is, is kind of like a prestigious one. Um, it's a little bit uh, I, I want to say it's got some pretty like it's mostly center right uh, for the most part. Um, you know, very pro-market, pro-American, uh, quote-unquote, security concerns. Um, but without, like, they might be horrible, but they're not, like, losing their minds all the time, like some of these fucking places like AEI and stuff. Um, okay. Yeah, they're what you might call a sober actor in the field, even if they're assholes. <laughs> so you can kind of, right. you can, if you read their analysis, you're like, okay, I, you know, it has structure. It has some, like, I get how your worldview would put you there, you know. So um, national authoritarians like, basically right exactly exactly yeah um okay yeah, yeah. yeah so their assessment is uh pretty uh like pretty uh fair to I, that's not really a good word but um pretty favorable that's what i'm trying to think of to belt and road initiative uh, even so they say that um yeah. yeah the interest rates that they offer on the loans are uh, below those offered by commercial banks and they have extended mm -hmm. repayment schedules um, and uh, they're they're negotiated between governments so or hmm, I don't know if that means I guess that means uh, they're negotiated individually per like differently per government it says government to government which you know, that's not a good phrase yeah, that would be um, that's that's like bilateral uh, agreements I'm assuming okay um, so a bit like um, a financial treaty, essentially. Yeah. So it yeah. says uh, in Indonesia, China Development Bank has offered a 40-year concessionary loan without asking for government debt guarantees to finance 75% of the 5.29 billion uh, Jakarta-Bandung Railway, Indonesia's first high-speed yeah. mm -hmm. railway, and a model mm -hmm. infrastructure project for the Belt Road effort. Um, the loans mm -hmm. have a 10-year grace period. A 60% portion is denominated in U.S. dollars, carrying a 2% interest rate, mm -hmm. and the remaining 40% is in Chinese yuan, carrying a 3.4% mm -hmm. interest rate, um, according to Bank of China International. So mm -hmm. Indonesia has to get a bunch of foreign currency to pay back these loans, which right there I think is a yeah, and that fairly, has, sorry, fairly indicative of yeah. neocolonialism. And go ahead. Yeah, well, I was gonna say from the uh, yeah from the kind of neoliberal, uh, especially like international like bilateral agreements and 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 um, you know, but yeah, bilateral economic agreements and um, using these other denominations um, would be explained as a way to manage risk. Um, and so, of course, to the people who are pro this, you know, pro capitalism, essentially, um, they're like, oh yeah, this is very like you know. Um, even keeled good judgment, very, very good, you know. Um, but two things, A, of course, those of us who are skeptical of um, the international uh, currency system and also just money 
itself. Um, we recognize the concepts of risk and debt and everything for really what they are, like you said, ways to control people. Um, but it's still important to understand in the international setting that um, the other side of this, it comes from the post-World War II, um, uh, uh, essentially global political economic engineering effort that led to things like the World Bank and the IMF existing um, as much as it did lead to things like NATO and the UN. Um, <clears throat> because um, the some of the some of the uh, uh, subtext of this is that um, U.S. dollars are not risky. Why? Because of U.S. power. Right. Um, yeah. And so it, it right. So it's like when people when people just kind of like read that and just don't investigate it, you know, it just flies right by them. Um, but what is interesting is that the Chinese yuan um, is not really like this is something I wrote an essay or two on. The Chinese yuan is like not really as major a player as you would expect. The RMB, the RMB is, um, it's amazing. Yeah, it is a major currency, real quick. right? Yuan is the name of the, is like what people call the currency, but renminbi is like the official term for the currency system. The currency, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so the RMB, as I'm gonna call it, because it's easier, um, is to, the USD, like, it's like a David and Goliath, and but with no sling and no stone, um, like, or very little to go on. Uh, Chinese currency is just not that powerful right now. China is powerful, but on the world yep. currency market, the RMB is not that powerful. And so when, when you get these, like, uh, you know, like red-faced American financial TV fuckers, Talking about like our Chinese currency, da, 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 da. you know, Chinese industry is taking over. Like they don't know what the fuck they are talking about. Like, uh, yes, there's a lot of trade with China. Yes, there's a lot of labor in China. Yes, they can do certain things cheaply and they choose to blah fucking blah. Uh, but when it comes to their currency power, it is extremely limited. I think I don't know. It might actually be behind the pound sterling in terms of like uh, the amount that's in circulation in the world. Um, Okay. Which is like there's there's something to that because Britain is fucking tiny, um, you know? right? Uh, right. So like, and and honest, and what's what's important to realize that China is is it big or small compared to China's, the UK? China's I would say China's I would say a moderate sized juggernaut. Um, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so uh, the other thing too is is to recognize that China's a new player. Um, Whereas, you know, the UK has its thumb on the scale. Like it was part of that whole financial engineering, economic engineering project that I mentioned just now, because um, they were one of the winners of World War II and so forth and so on. And they were and they were a traditional imperial European power. Um, so it's kind of funny that like they, they're not even that powerful anymore, but they just had like a, a better seat at the table automatically. Um, Anyway, so it's interesting because I think that China does have designs on like um, regional hegemony, which it already has in large part within East Asia. Uh, but um, the Belt and Road Initiative, just to kind of tip my hand, seems like their attempt to use what is considered acceptable, which is soft power, in order to gain greater and greater shares of world uh, like 
what you might call um, share of share of mind um, or or cultural power um, and influence um, to uh, I don't know do what states do right like individually who knows what the fuck people are thinking but as a state you know um, what they want is to perpetuate themselves um, to the expense of others um, and so forth. right. So, and know, it seems like what, having these loans yeah. denominated in in yuan would increase the power of the renminbi because it, it, it increases the need for point, it yeah. worldwide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yoking the yuan or the RMB um, to the U.S. dollar in a deal like this with um, a third party that is friendly to both of them at this point in history um, and has traditionally been friendly to both of them at different times uh, for different reasons. Um, and it's an emerging economy. Indonesia is an emerging economy in the kind of capitalist parlance, uh, neoliberal parlance. Um, then it's basically a really great way for them to, yeah, to like you said, try to kind of increase the power of the currency if they can, um, and kind of see, sort of just experiment, and see where things go with with the financial side of this deal. Um, so here's a right. an interesting random fact about renminbi. Um, in 1889, the yuan was equated at par with the Mexican peso. Damn. <laughs> and now... So, like, uh, basically, <laughs> soft power is viewed as okay because we have this sort of, like, the neoliberal mm. ideas that as long as it's not, like, a war, it's a good influence. Right. Because, like, the idea the that Stephen international Pinker view. relations are economic inherently now or whatever yeah 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 Yeah. we're actually living at the time with uh the least violence ever in history i don't know if you guys knew that (laughs) but uh, oh yeah you know i've I've heard that i've heard that a lot i've heard it so much that i just um you know keep saying it out loud to other people yeah and also uh africans have a lower iq but you know that's just heard that as well yeah so that's that's just science right. <laughs> it's like because like basically i guess to put it in context the whole neoliberal era is just like the post quote-unquote cold war era of like we moved from direct wars to proxy wars mm-hmm. to economic wars yep. right yep. and this is viewed as good because i guess as long as we're not killing <laughs> yeah. millions of people with bullets then it's fine to do it with money or whatever. Right, right, exactly, exactly. I um, mean, if, weren't if proxy wars pretty popular it. like prior to the 20th century too? Like, uh, there like a lot of weren't a lot of colonial wars proxy wars basically, or were more they or less more less direct? Default, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like a lot of a lot of colonial wars were um, like a lot of the anxiety, imperial anxiety around colonies, um, and like seizing colonies before other imperialists could get it, uh, and, um, battling over these slivers of land and all this shit. This was all part of this. So this is a big part of IR's history, international relations history. Um, is that there's this whole idea of like great power politics, which emerged in like the 18th and 19th century, and then influenced a lot of this 20th century thinking. And the cold war was, um, kind of the, um, like a huge paradigmatic example of that, but a lot of it came from, a lot of it also developed from things like the Napoleonic era, um, the era of like, you know, Prussian domination and things like that. Um, yeah, well, because like uh, pre-20th century war was really bad at logistics, so I guess they couldn't really 
see what like because the way we do war now like yeah. you know with like say iran or whatnot the whole idea isn't really so much of like controlling that specific country through like killing off enough of their people that they just cede power to you but more so to put like the logistical weight onto their allies right. and such right right exactly yeah from what i understand um, like all war today is like all about logistics like uh mm-hmm. the u.s is mm-hmm. is the well, powerful like military because we have logistics. the largest system of logistics under our yes. control yes and true you're right as well it always has been always about been logistics like, at some level yeah it's just that we're, we're better and better at it now yeah, we were just so bad at it that we yeah. kind of had to just yeah. fix any logistical issue with sheer numbers and force. And right, exactly. And um, oh, I think also symbolic victories, like still important, but much more important in the old days um, because of the blow to morale and like the limitation of people's ability to communicate and like escape their local circumstances and stuff. So it's like if you saw St. Petersburg fall or something, like that's a that's a huge fucking mindfuck, right? Um, Whereas now it's like, you know, you could, you know, you could fucking obliterate a city with um, a nuclear device. Not that that's ever been done, um, but hypothetically, um, and uh, whatever country that hosted that city would march on or, or do something else, you know. Um, uh, but yeah. Um, well, it's kind of like my whole thing with like, you know, everyone always fear mongering about World War Three or right. whatever, but like. It's just like it's just not going to happen because that sort of idea of just a massive, like yeah. all yeah. like you know balls to the wall logistical fight isn't really <laughs> sensible in the modern paradigm. And not to mention, if it was going to happen, that we've yeah. had so many incidences in the past half century that would have caused it that, that mm-hmm. like clearly it's not going to happen. Yeah, and and one thing too, the real that World I War Three was the proxy ahead, wars Brian, we sorry. made along the way. <laughs> yep. One thing that I think is also important to note is that um, one of the one of the possibilities that you could like to, to build on your point, true. Yeah, World War Three is not going to happen like World War Two, unless unless a real numbskull like John Bolton really actually just gets a room full of buttons, you know. Um, but those people like that that will probably. Ha- not actually pop off even uh, like a World War Three scenario as people imagine it. It will probably turn into like the great, you know, the great American nuclear crisis of 2021 or some shit, you know, and then a bunch of other actors will get in um, and kind of hold the whole thing down uh, because nobody wants to lose the commodities and they don't want to lose the distributed networks and, and they don't want to lose all this other, um, you know, to use the term techno mass. I need my tendies. All right. Well, because like, yeah, the yeah. just the the way we like through media and whatnot treat international incidents is very filtered to like right. meet a specific end. Like any, you know, a minor riot in one country might be overblown in mm-hmm. to basically a coup internationally. But you know, a, even a nuclear incident could very easily just be, you know, mm-hmm. it, it would be nearly impossible to completely cover mm-hmm. it up. But they would do it enough to make it seem like it wasn't a big enough deal just to rationalize like. Like, oh, yeah, we'll sanction them, but we're not going to, like, cut off all international relations over this. Right. Which, you know, a war would imply, like, well, we have to cut them off. It follows some of the logic of, um, it's, it's, uh, like, 
if if you're able to do it, it's better, it's more effective to wound an enemy soldier uh, in an army than to like kill them outright. Um, like uh, unless of course they've got the kill shot on you or something. But like it's better to wound them so that they have to be taken care of. And so it's like it's it's actually much better to like sabotage. Oh, interesting how that theme keeps coming up. But it's it's much better to sabotage and to like hamstring um, like the leadership or like yeah the public trust in the government or foreign business or whatever, so that you can create a kind of um, compromise and like force a decision for them to do one thing or another in your favor. And so the more that you can control their decisions, and this is another thing that's like this is both like military logic and economic logic. If you can force someone else's decisions. Um, and defer your own costs, then like you basically own them. Right. Well, yeah, because like yeah. that's kind of yeah. like the whole loopholes of like the laws yeah. of war and whatnot is that yeah. it's actually in a lot of cases extremely strategic just to huh. have a unit surrender because then right. they have yeah. to be taken prisoner rather exactly. than killed. And there's like a necessary <clears throat> logistic weight to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know. Like, like things like say bringing back the Silk Road puts like a lot of weight on all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you can keep say smaller countries mm-hmm. from opposing you militarily at any point because now they have that yep. they're on the road so if they yep. piss you off you can just toll them out of You're it. Like, really. well, what about this? What about that? Yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting because it reminds me um, suddenly of when Amazon said that they wanted to build a couple of new HQs, right? Um, and so they're like, oh, we're going to turn it into a big old game and everybody's going to like, you know, uh, tell us where, you know, like why they're the best uh, uh, candidate to host the new HQ or the new HQs. And so all these fucking cities went nuts trying to, try to get those quote unquote jobs, but really just to get the fucking pork. Um, and then Amazon... I love pork. Well, I mean, I actually pretty much predicted that they would just go with DC and New York because like, that's where the power is in terms of all this. Um, and that's just where you would go. And then that's what they declared. But on the, on, on the way, they, um, they got all this intel on all these cities and all this other shit that uh, would otherwise have... Um, it, it would have imposed a cost on Amazon to do the work of getting that intel. So even if the intel was open open source, even if it was readily available, it would not have been as easy, right? Um, and yeah. I'm pretty sure those cities volunteered even more information than Amazon would have necessarily been willing to pay workers to get. Yeah. Um, Invest right. into the gathering. Yeah, like that. Arlington drawing up a map of where all the senators they would have to influence are. Right. <laughs> or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Um, and oh. so I think that the Belt and Road Initiative and probably the CVP and probably a lot of other like multilaterals like this are an effort of the hegemon or something proximate to the hegemon to get this kind of like information advantage by getting willing participants to essentially surrender um, their uh, a signify that they're willing to do it b surrender valuable information and c put themselves in an open compromise situation where if they pull out they look like shit right. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. for the most part, it's like you know greasing the gears of logistics and whatnot. But yeah, it exactly. also has that sort of like you know that inherently capitalist idea of in order to be in mm-hmm. on anything, you have to earn it. Even though, like, clearly the countries it, that are going to be involved are 
already beneficial to begin with. So they're, but it's the same with the whole idea of like the quote unquote first world and whatnot. It's the, uh, you know, yep. meeting these arbitrary standards just because we set them forth and you have to put effort into meeting that specific goal rather yeah. than, you know, just improving your country outright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it is. It's important for like questioning any uh, sort of positive side effects that they state that those are going to have. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so and I think that your pork, your remark there was. Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Yeah, speaking of pork, uh, there is a lot of corruption that supposedly, uh, like according to like G himself, uh, they're trying mm-hmm. to prevent you know any sort of corruption i guess because they really want this to succeed so they're trying to make it look squeaky clean or whatever but uh mm-hmm. i have this passage here covering up corruption <laughs> no i would never that would be a brand new thing that has never happened that's true um so in in bangladesh officials said in january that china harbor would be banned from future contracts over accusations that the company attempted to bribe an official at the ministry of roads stuffing a hundred thousand dollars into a box of tea Government officials said in interviews. Uh, well, I I would like that box of tea. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but then, like, uh, going back to Sri Lanka, like, uh, there was quite a lot of corruption there. But I think China can kind of play it off because uh, it's mostly that Sri Lanka has a really fucked up government. From what I remember reading about this. Like um, um, their president was President Rajapaksa uh, until 2015, and if I remember correctly, like he basically structured the government so that he and his two brothers like controlled everything essentially. But yeah, right. um, so he like got that contract uh, because he was basically in charge of all decisions on his own. Well, I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's a lot. It's kind of similar to, um, you know, how history nerds are always, I love talking about this, they're always really into this whole idea of, like, silly wars, you know, like, wars started over some petty thing or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're kind of missing the point of that. Like, those stories and whatnot, it's, yeah, governments are going to do what they're going to do. States, yeah have you know their reasons for things they're often very abstract and built on like entire histories of like built up tensions and shit but the moment you find like a valid excuse or whatnot it's kind of like you know uh, as i mentioned in the group chat like tonkin i don't know if i'm pronouncing that correctly or like the spanish-american war or as we're doing with iran it's just Mm -hmm. the uh we want the consequences of the war but we don't have a justification (laughs) yeah and yep. it's kind of like the we like same with corruption and whatnot. It's just like the oh, we want to cut these people out, but we have yet to find an excuse. So you'll look for any petty little thing and just right. like cut them off the moment you find it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, and uh, oh, I forgot about this part. So they actually tried to get uh, President Rajapaksa reelected. They. Uh, donated seven point six million dollars to his reelection campaign. Uh huh. Interesting. Rich getting richer. What What's funny is Raja Paksa in Malay, and I wouldn't be surprised if it 
means the same thing in, in uh, Bangladeshi or whatever. Uh, but Rajapaksa in Malay just means like forceful king. <laughs> so he's basically like, I'm president dictator. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find if I have anything else. Port in the capital. Sorry. Oh yeah. Uh, so about that port that they built. So uh, yeah. it was built by China Harbor Engineering Company, which is one of Beijing's largest state-owned enterprises. That's another thing that people talk about a lot when they say that it's neocolonialism is that most of the contracts are awarded to Chinese companies. Yeah. Um, and so yep. they're bringing in a bunch of Chinese workers yep. to. Um, to build the infrastructure, um, but anyway, this this port uh, is the Hamban Tota Port Development Project, and uh, in 2012, the port drew only 34 ships. Wow, just 34. Shit. Shit. Uh... They actually have another port, like right on the other side of the country, which like it's a small country, um, and. Uh, the other port is like hugely busy and is like a really important shipping hub. Um, mm. But yeah, this other one, not not so much. It's only it only drew thirty four ships. Um, then that's the one that the Chinese invested in. Is that correct? Yes, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Okay. And Interesting. It says here this is a different huh. figure than the other one that I had, but it says uh, after negotiations. Uh, for repayment on the debt, the government handed over the port and 15,000 acres of land around it for 99 years. Which, you know, 99 years is that classic, like... <laughs> huh? Uh, so have you heard of Hong Kong? <laughs> it's one of those, like, yeah. you know, century-long leases or whatever um, that, like, the British forced on China... Um, yeah, that's what I was about Hong to Kong, say. It's Hong like the Kong. classic, like unequal oh, treaty. Yeah, length. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The whole thing is that uh, states just do that because they can do things on like what's grand... generally considered a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. As long as it's longer than a human lifespan, it's bigger than you. Yeah. Is the point? Yeah, 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 and that makes sense from a state point of view. Yeah. <clears throat> So they got it for 99 years. Yep. 99 years. Oh, um, shit. I'm not seeing a lot of other interesting stuff. I see this comment from yeah. you. It says something about Poe as introduced by Seriously Wrong. Can you explain oh, that? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. I haven't even caught that one yet. Oh, yeah. So. so this is just an interesting word that um, I forget which of them brought up uh, in one of the last episodes. Um, it's it's like, a, like a logical or conceptual word, um, PO, P-O, and you just put it between two concepts as like a way to prompt like people to just discuss whatever comes to mind when they put those two ideas together in their head. So... This is actually kind of just in, you know, coming up with the theme of the same, the whole episode really is like China's Belt and Road Initiative, Po, American military bases, and global corporate colonialism. Um, 
we've kind of been doing that the whole time. Uh, um, but I am actually interested in kind of thinking about how the BRI, um, you know, it's right now it's explicitly economic, it's trade agreements, it's da, 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 da. And so the, the easy thing to compare it to is, you know, neoliberal, um, you know, global colonialism, neocolonialism, et cetera. Um, but let's, let's kind of think about my example of like the Mongols uh, and their savvy use of um, the parts of the Silk Road network that they could access and control and how they created uh, a kind of like, you know, imperial order uh, around it, uh, around the part that they had. Um, and, and that's kind of, I mean, that was really uh, like a, like a, a pre, you know, pre steam way that you could extend um, both hard and soft power at a great distance was to control an, um, an economic network. Um, because again, like the carrot is that everything's great and you have an economic network and the, you know, you just let the Mongols be the Mongols. And then the stick is that um, they're on horses and they have these nice roads. And as many, many cities uh, in, I think, especially the Middle East and Central Asia learned, um, if you, if you fuck with the Mongols, they will fucking like obliterate you. Right. And, um, you know, so I think at least one city uh, made a treaty with them like, oh, yeah, we'll submit. And then like once the Mongols left, they're like, haha, we tricked you. You know, you guys just like left and, and we'll just go back to being us. And the Mongols came back and leveled the entire city and killed every last living thing within it. You know, um, not that uh, America would ever do that and not that China would ever do that. Ha, ha, ha. But like controlling, you know, essentially asserting economic control over a vast network like this is implicitly um, asserting the potential for military domination, right? Um, yeah, I mean, the major development in the last like 200 years is like layers and layers of bureaucracy on top of state power to like exactly, like, exactly. Uh, add um, threat levels without using direct force, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And uh, yeah, so it's it's that's just one possibility. Like to me, I don't know that that is something that they're necessarily going to do but I know that they want to be able to do it because they are a state and because they are engaging in a project of a scale. Right. Yeah. So the war might be silly, you know, to put it in truce kind of um, framing the war, whatever war might happen might be silly, but uh, it's fucking war <laughs> and, yeah. and there are intended uh, consequences. Yeah. Yeah. What is it good um, for? Right. Silk. <laughs> That yep, yeah, that is one thing it's good for, I guess. Yeah, I think those guys were, were not not quite correct on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things that it's like it's it's underway, and there's just like yeah, there's just a lot of possibility right now, and so it's it's a lot of fun to think about, talk about. Um, but we just don't know at all what's going to happen next with this this big project. Yeah, I mean we we could we could get into more details, but it it seems like mm -hmm. we have a consensus that it does seem pretty neo-colonial. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the loans function essentially the same way that the World Bank's loans do. We already have an example of them using the the fact of you know 
the uh, of Sri Lanka not being able to repay their loan to force them to give them sovereignty over their land, which is like a pretty clear cut example of <laughs> uh, neocolonialism, I think. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know how necessary it is to get into many more details because I, I think we covered it pretty yeah. well. Yeah. And I think that like listeners, um, we, we have this sprawling document full of notes and links. And so if you're like interested in like the nitty gritty of this whole thing, um, which again may change at any moment at, uh, you know, for various reasons, um, who knows what's going to happen with the Belt and, uh, Belt and Road Initiative, who knows what's going to happen with, for example, the TPP, um, um, in the near future and in the far distant future. Um, so feel free to read up on it. If it's something that you're interested in, just like read up on it. Um, and especially like learn some of the kind of, um, the framing and the terminology that goes with, um, not just like the financial and banking side of it, but also some of the stuff we talked about with like soft and hard power, um, you know, um, and some of the history of, of the Silk Road network as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess that's all we have. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot to, uh, anime related to talk about. I've been watching Hunter x Hunter, <laughs> which uh, is, you know, it's an entertaining I, series. I, I but... started Evangelion the other day. I'm still here, by the way. Oh, you're here. <laughs> you started right. what now? I haven't, I haven't been talking because I can't understand Ryan 90% of the time. Well, that's that's normal. Oh no! <laughs> Just kind of sound underwater to me. <laughs> so, well, uh, that's because I'm underwater. We're in the maritime okay. slope road. Yeah, I told you I was in Cape Cod. What did you think I was on the land? <laughs> but I, I got the I got the important that stuff. Also sounds like a that if you that if you don't think the Belt and Road Initiative is neocolonialism, <laughs> it's purely for silly ideological reasons. Yeah. You're 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 a teenage Marxist on Twitter. There is absolutely I love no Dang to uh Cape and Cod initiative. <laughs> Cape Cod is clearly the name of a male escort club. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> Look at vampire themed one or something. <laughs> <laughs> And so, what were you watching, Chloe? Oh, I, I started Evangelion the other day. Oh, okay. Everyone seems to be uh, watching Evangelion all of a sudden. Just because it's on Netflix. Because it got added to Netflix. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't it's, know that. It's normie. Oh, that's right. I did link that tweet about the, it being uh, on Netflix. Yeah. Second season of uh, Kakaguri. Hey, two of you are talking at once. I'm clearly more important. Well, yeah, because I could understand <laughs> you. <laughs> I watched a Gretzko the other day. That that's, yeah, I watched, that's a pretty good. I watched a Gretzko. Good. Is that a comedy? It it is. Yeah, it it's looks a very a, deep philosophical work. It's a work. comedy. About it's a very deep philosophical <laughs> work about hating work. Yeah, yeah, and just the sort of I don't know. It's got that same sort of thing when like you know that you get at work in general where people say things complaining about work that can clearly spin off into very radical statements, yep. but they just kind of leave it right. at that. Yep. Makes sense. And yeah, uh, Hunter yeah, Hunter is 
decent uh decent entertainment but not not a lot of themes that i can get out of it other than like uh, i guess generally you should humanize everyone that's maybe the one thing that i could pull from it that sounds nice yeah i've never seen any of it i um i think it's on netflix which makes it normie shit normie shit i'm watching i propose we uh we on Hulu, we stop calling everything normie shit. Hulu has a ton of anime, dude. Like, it has a lot. You can get simulcast of stuff, yeah. and you don't have to sit through Hulu commercials. Does have a ton of anime, like on uh, Crunchyroll. Can I get? Can I get? Fuck! I think I can get Hulu for free again. Amazon has a pretty large selection of anime. Not gonna lie, I'm enrolled. They in, don't have the second season I'm, of Gate. I'm enrolled in school again, so I can get Spotify student. <laughs> My, uh, my favorite anime on Amazon is uh, Recreators. That one's actually pretty good, philosophically speaking. I have not heard of that one. It's got a, a sort of similar philosophy to uh, fuck, what was it? Um, I had a more classic one to compare it to. I forget what it was though. <laughs> Recreators. <laughs> it's got uh, clearly it's more related to Oscar Wilde than anything. Uh, it's it's about that uh, the, just the general idea that like you're expressing more through art than what's directly stated, kind of thing. It's like the exact opposite of death of the author in a way. Well, actually, if anything, like the the entire plot's kind of like a fight between over death of the author. If you think about it, but yeah, you know, it's good. It's just watch it. I know. When are we gonna do an episode on Hogfather? What the fuck is Hogfather? <laughs> what is that? Help us understand, Chloe. Please just. <laughs> say words that make sense uh (laughs) it's a it's a it's a well it's a book but it's a tv special more importantly because that also sounds like a like an escort thing (laughs) it's it's right next to cape cod uh or whatever Mafia themed male escorts. Of, uh, punny names for escort places. <laughs> now, I, I can't imagine that there's already a place somewhere called Cape Hog, but uh, I'd imagine that'd just be like some, like, uh, fuck what you call it, just like places that just serve various pork cuts like <laughs> right. in Cape right. Cod. <laughs> exactly. so let's be real it's like 2019 it would just be a bacon right right i was with you up until you said bacon it, it... <laughs> cape hog would probably be a place where they would serve various uh uh you know cuts of pork and and whatever but then it was like but let's be real it's 2019 it would probably just all be bacon and then I was going to say, if it's called Cape Hog, it should be a place that serves, you know, um, seafood, uh, you know, chowder and, and crab and shit with bacon on it. But uh, I'm sure all of our vegan listeners are puking in their mouths right now. Okay. It's one of those. 
places that like the so locals call like <laughs> high art kind of like high good cuisine but like people like tourists will visit it and it's just like salmon with bacon on top <laughs> but what if by the way i actually went to a, a clam chowder festival here oh yeah did you chow pretty good first time mm-hmm. i've ever tried clam chowder actually so that's a pretty stunning review there. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> that's like that's my ten out of ten. That's how I always review things on the show. It's it's good. <laughs> we should uh, just gonna transition to talking about the good podcast instead. <clears throat> um, the, do you, wait, oh, we do lost you guys Chris. even have like an outro? I've never listened that far into an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, they can, they can uh, cut this. They yeah, our outro it. is uh, we say, okay, bye. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it always feels like you're hanging up on the phone. <laughs> okay, yep. bye. Okay, love you, bye. Yeah. I don't love you. As, that's what, that's you what we'll start doing. We'll just say, <laughs> like we'll say we say love bye you, back. bye. <laughs> Chris, you've lived in the Midwest yeah. for parts of your life. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you, you know how that's not how it is. How, which part? The, the hanging uh, up and saying, "Yeah, hanging up, just being okay, goodbye." Oh yeah, no, it takes forever. <laughs> okay, it's just like, all oh, right. Wait, I forgot to tell you all, all of right. the important things I initially called right. you. <laughs> right, so that was life. Right, right. Oh, you know, actually, you know what? Um, yeah. Okay, bye. Well, actually, did you read uh, that? Oh, oh. <laughs> did you read that collection of Camus essays I sent you the other day? Can we discuss the philosophical implications? <laughs> And this is pretty much what right, we're doing right now. Like, everyone lives, yeah. Everyone lives two hours away from each other at like breakneck speeds, so they might as well just stay on the phone. <laughs> hey, but like Hogfather, it's a it's a Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't believe you. It's really good. I don't we have should, to believe you because it's because it's already June. We should we should start planning the episode for December. <laughs> Um, we might actually get it done by then. <laughs> Great. It's the, it's the best Christmas movie. Better than Elf. We're, nice. we, we totally plan ahead on our... <laughs> um, yeah, our last episode was six months of planning. That's all we did for that six months. Five oh my God. months and Jesus. six days. Shit, it's like so. I bet it went perfectly. My last job just lasted. Yeah. That's yeah. It's longer than I've been at my job. So. Yeah. <laughs> What's a job? Yeah. Um. It's a thing that nerds ma- want to make you do. A job is what a hog father does. <laughs> it's a lie. <laughs> I think he does specific kinds of jobs. Well, it sounds like we're all <laughs> crashing, so I think that's about as good a time as any to end it. Yeah. Uh, so, if you like this episode, uh, that's weird, but uh, <laughs> check out our other ones at <laughs> NeighborSciencePodcast.com. Um, our Twitter is at NeighborSciPod. Uh, I'm at Handle of Rye. Chris is at Solidarity underscore Goth. True is at TrueBot. Chloe is at shitpost scarcity with no I.
because she has no eye. Uh, if you love, if you loved my all my deep insights during this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and and speaking of not having an eye, um, one thing that I would uh, advise all our listeners to do is to um, go on uh, Dan Crenshaw's Twitter and just reply to everything that he writes with like uh, pirate stuff. Like uh, our matey and that's a lot of booty and that kind of thing. Um, like who's Twitter? Dan Crenshaw. <laughs> oh. Yeah. oh, Dan Crenshaw. I've determined, yeah, yeah. I've determined yes. that doing that is mildly problematic, but really funny. It, yes. <laughs> um, so it's impossible so, to tell if it's bad or not. Yeah, like I'm not like I, like. I'm not going to cancel you for it, but I'm not going to shed a tear for you when you get canceled for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just realized that noise in the background was my cat asking to be let out. Well, that's a perfect time to end <laughs> what it. What did you want? <laughs> All right, we love you. Bye. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> All right. I, think I, I, think I do I actually have to go, so... <laughs> There's some literal door closing sound effects for your outro. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I think I was. Right. I, I do have to go, so I'm going to hang up now. Love you. Epic ending. We should go watch.